0: what's up purpose-driven entrepreneurs it's me your host timmy bauer my guest today is jeffrey d roth he's the author of fires floods and taxi cabs and on his linkedin bio he says i help organizations get things done i'm really curious to hear about that jeffrey welcome to the podcast
1: thank you timmy for having me it's a pleasure to be here
0: Yes, I'm excited to talk to you. So Jeffrey, I would love it if you could give us just a like real short professional background for listeners to have context on you.
1: Sure. Well, I'm, I, I consider myself a public servant. I've served both in New York City government for the past 14 years and the U.S. Army National Guard for the past 22 years. Never thought I'd be old enough to say I've done anything for 22 years, but here we are. Uh, And I recently wrote a book about some of those experiences and how to lead organizations, how to build teams, how to make decisions. And uh, that's the book that you mentioned. And so now I'm venturing much out on my own. Uh, I still do uh, work for New York City government. I'm still working with the military, but I'm also uh, trying to get out there and help organizations uh, do better themselves and improve their operations, efficiency, uh, those sorts of things.
0: Yeah. So you wrote Fires, Floods, and Taxicabs: Taking a Bite Out of Big Apple Bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. What was your primary goal in writing that book?
1: The primary goal was to give a handbook to new public servants. So people just enter you know, whether it's out of college or graduate school who are looking to go into the public sector. The, the public sector is challenging in many ways. You know, you're not paid as much as you might be in the private sector. There's lots of constraints and how you can do things and get things done. Um, And I found there wasn't a lot of books for people entering that market. So if you were going into the business world or you were going into project management or you're just thinking about leadership, lots of books on all of those things. But I often had to translate in my mind from those types of books to some of the nuances of the public sector. And I often thought, gosh, there should be more books for catered to those of us who are looking to make an impact in the world, to make a change, to make a difference, particularly uh, in government and nonprofit world. And so that's what I tried to do here was just share some of the things that I learned along the way, both from the military and city government, and say, "Hey, here's here's some ways to do things that uh, can help other public servants just getting started."
0: Yeah, the reason I thought it'd be interesting to bring you on the show. So obviously, you know, you're you're coming from the public sector and entrepreneurship. It's like the majority of it is the private sector, mm-hmm. obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and but the thing is, you have all this experience in dealing with bureaucracy, like the public sector is riddled with bureaucracy. And in the private sector, we get frustrated by the smallest amount of mm-hmm. bureaucracy. I'm curious, just right off the bat, uh, where, what do you think, like, how has your opinion of bureaucracy evolved throughout your time in the public sector? So what where do you think, what, what's something that you thought about bureaucracy that's changed over time?
1: Well, a couple of things. I I think for bureaucracy exists in any institution, whether that's government, private sector, uh, military, anything that's big and has lots of units and departments and you got to learn to navigate it, in my mind, is bureaucracy. I think the biggest change for me having served is bureaucracy. I think when I got started was somewhat of a bad word. Hey, you didn't want to be a bureaucrat and bureaucracy was a scary thing and it needed to be destroyed at all costs. Um, but as I've spent time in the public sector dealing with bureaucracy, you start to learn that there's good reasons that bureaucracy exists. It provides checks and balances. It you know, protects public dollars. It uh, sometimes slows things down from just political whims and decision-making that could you know, take, take an organization between extremes. So it, it kind of provides this rudder that's steady in the center. Uh, not always the case, but I think that you know, there are some positives to bureaucracy that do serve the public well. I think that was one of the things I learned. It's not always the enemy, it's not always uh, the worst thing in the world that it can provide some good. And also having worked in government, I think one of the things I didn't fully appreciate is just how many good people there are working in government who uh, create uh, new ways of doing things, they innovate, they're creative, they're forward thinking, they think outside the box, all of those buzzwords. uh, They're at work every single day doing incredible things to serve the public and to make an impact and that's what really touched me and one of the reasons I also wrote the book was just to uh, point to some of the folks that are doing some pretty incredible things.
0: When you're out there helping organizations get things done, what are their problems that they're usually coming to you with?
1: I often a strategy and alignment is are the terms I hear a lot. It's hey, we, you know, we wanna move forward, um, but there's something holding us back. We know we wanna accomplish these things, but how do we get everyone rowing in the same direction? How do we get everyone on the team pulling together? Those are the things I often hear and it's you know, a nesting, hey, if this is the goal that we're trying to uh, hit, if this is our target, our mark, how do we get everyone on the team nested with that? How does everyone make a contribution to achieving that thing? I hear that over and over and over again. Uh, because it's simple, but it's not easy, right? It's it's conceptually, okay, yeah, everyone has goals and they all relate to each other and they all move us towards this target, but getting everyone on the same page and, and moving in that way and measuring and thinking about those things is really hard for organizations to do.
0: What do you think is oftentimes their biggest problem in overcoming that problem?
1: A few things. I think one is the know-how, um, you know, n- knowing how to pull a team in and get them thinking about goals, teaching okay. that. What are some unique things change.
0: that you've figured out for how to do that?
1: Uh, it's t- tools and techniques. A lot of them I talk about in the book, but it's instituting simple ways, starting small, um, You know, creating the pathways for getting people to think about, hey, if I measure this one thing, over time, wow, I really make strides uh, to do this. And I think there's simple ways to visualize that, get everyone doing it, trying it. Um, but in my experience, even even that can take a lot of time. I remember in one situation on a team where we were trying to just get people thinking about their goals and metrics, going from the, the talk of it to actually a, a time when I thought, oh, wow, everyone's doing this, we're all synced, we're all measuring these things, was nine months for something so simple. And, and the other thing is just time, right? We're all busy, we all get distracted on other things. You know, Every day we put out fires from nine till five and everything in between is just often reacting and response to things that come up, which is important. Uh, but I find that organizations, myself included, it's carving out that time for ensuring that you spend a little bit every day focused on the things that really matter, those long-term things, those goals and all of that. Um, So another thing is like, Hey, working outside the bounds of your nine to five, you might have to get up early and spend some time doing a little bit of work in the morning or in the evenings just to make sure you've got undistracted time.
0: Yeah. I like the concept a lot of prioritizing and making time for things that are extremely important, but not urgent because the problem is we are always prioritizing naturally. We're always prioritizing what's urgent, Mm -hmm. but um, man, there's a lot of power in, Kind of turning off your urgency alarm and going, you know, what are the things that when I think about my business or my organization five years down the road, what are the things that I'll really have wished that I had invested time in today?
1: That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, too, in my experience, it doesn't always require a, a massive amount of time you know, just a little bit every day to just inching something forward, you'll look back, you know, two months down the road, three months down the road and say, whoa, I've made a lot of progress that I wasn't necessarily seeing because I I marked a little bit of time every single day
0: towards it. Yeah. So do you think there's a healthy version or like a healthy amount of bureaucracy for like a typical company?
1: Absolutely, you know, bureaucracy in, in my mind is specialization, right? You have a unit, you have a team that focuses on doing something and doing it well, whether that's producing a whip, a widget, overseeing a process, delivering something um, internally, whether it's HR or other things so, like you need people that specialize. And that's what, in my mind, bureaucracy is. It's a team of people focused on expertise. But when they put on blinders and they don't always relate to other arms of the organization or their processes are outdated or confusing or hard to navigate, that's when it becomes a problem. And so good leaders have to think about how do I get all these different functions and domains to work together and coordinate? That's the tricky part. Um, but yeah, you know, some level of bureaucracy is a healthy thing. People have to specialize. They have to dig in and focus on you know, those important components that make a business operate.
0: Yeah, I found personally, uh, and I haven't ever thought about this as bureaucracy before, but I guess it can be understood as bureaucracy. So like I struggled for a while with, um, I've got about 21 customers currently, Mm uh, when I started to get into the like double digits of customers and it were very small company, like it's me, it's my wife, my VA and a team of illustrators and a writer. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I struggled with, um, you know, the customers are just, they're, what it is, is they're just very excited. This is one of the most fun projects that they are working on. So they're Mm -hmm. very, very excited. So because they're very excited, they're always thinking about their project, which means I get way more emails than I honestly have the bandwidth to handle Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. because we've set a timeline for their book and, um you know we wrote a manuscript and we solidified that manuscript and all throughout production we're getting emails like oh you know what if, what if we added a uh, you know a bunny in this scene and you know what if you know all these little like what ifs because it's the most one of the most exciting projects they're working on and when i finally was like you know what every time a customer asks for a change after this point in the timeline it's going to go through this and i never use the word bureaucratic but mm-hmm, bureaucratic yeah, yeah. process mm-hmm. uh my, my wife will will take will take the request in assess how much time it will take to to make the change mm-hmm. and then show the customer their current timeline and the timeline if we make the change and say so are you asking us to change your timeline that's right and all yeah. oh, that has reduced the amount of like uh post production start date changes to, mm-hmm. to, to mm-hmm. projects <laughs>
1: You create a few barriers in there that, to make people really think and measure how important something is, right? Like, hey, if this is really important to me, maybe I do delay it. Maybe I make that decision. Or, hey, if I delay it, maybe there's a new cost associated with it. And if I'm willing to pay it, then for sure we we, we do that. But, um, yeah, it might filter out some of the things that people aren't you know, necessarily that passionate about. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's a good use of uh, some complicated processes to maybe slow things down or, or make people think a little bit. i think when you're the
0: business owner though usually the source of frustration is when your your own company's bureaucracy is causing you to not be able to get the things done that you want to get done or like make the pivots that you want to make so Mm -hmm. how does a business owner handle that
1: yeah you know it's i think if you have a good leadership team right it's really about culture uh every organization every team Every business is built on the people that are there. So if you go out and find people that share the value of being adaptive, being creative, being um, client-focused, customer service-oriented, problem-solving focused, and you build a team around you of those types of people, when those challenges arise and you say, hey, we've got to pivot and go in this direction, they're going, you know, there's going to be maybe some discussion, maybe there's some disagreement and things like that. But at the end of the day, if you say, hey, this this is what we're going to do, and you've got the right people on the bus, you're all gonna say, okay, yeah, let's pick up and we're gonna move in that direction. I think that's the most critical thing is who you surround yourself with. And if people aren't that way, and you're in an organization that's learning or you're a newer company, those people gotta go. Like you can't have people that aren't <laughs> willing to flex yeah. in that way. That's the type yeah. of environment to survive this day and age. You've gotta be able to change like that. Yes.
0: Well, so I, as a, as a very entrepreneurial sort of person, um, I've always been very open to change mm-hmm. like I'm I, like open is the wrong word. I am, I, uh, I like am embracing of actively sure, looking yeah. for change, embracing mm-hmm. change, always on the lookout for change. Um, always trying to change. Uh, but it's been a real like eye opener to realize like most people are not like that. Most people are the opposite. They hate right. change. Mm-hmm. I, I have to imagine that it's even more so in the uh, public sector. Is that
1: true? Yes and no. I, I think again, you know, that when when you look at it at the people level, uh, no. I think it's like any other organization. It's full of people. There's people who. You know, don't like change, but I think what's different in the public sector is those that do don't always know where to go to create that change. Um, in many of my projects, which I touch on in the book, you know, part of what I recommend that good leaders do is they go and sit with people who are doing the work on the ground in whatever process or project that you're, you know, you're taking a look at or analyzing or trying to improve. And you, by talking to people on the ground, you're going to get all the answers for how to improve it. And I've done that countless times. And many different organizations. You go and talk to the people who are doing the work on the ground every day. You can do that through focus groups, one-on-one interviews, ride-alongs, like go out and actually do the work with that person wherever it is, factory floor. Uh, New York City. I talk about like going out and filling potholes with the pothole crews. And you talk to the people doing the work, they're gonna tell you, hey, this is how we need to improve it. So I think there's people that often wanna make the change, but maybe because of the layers of management or again, that bureaucracy, has has not enabled them to create that change or no one's ever taken the time to just come and listen to them yeah. so there's real magic in listening to your people because uh they often have a lot to say and a lot of really good ideas and it just requires a leader saying hey let's let's slow down and let's take a few to actually talk to our people and see what we can learn internally
0: yeah yeah uh my best friend james is uh currently trying to think through so he owns a company called Sweetfish. And he's currently trying to think through how to talk about change with his team in a way that they, like, trying to have a culture that embraces important change. Yeah. Um, and uh, the thing, like, just trying to figure out, like, how to communicate it. So, like, you know, progress, uh, or not all change is progress but you don't have progress without change. And this is something that like, I just Mm -hmm. wish more people would understand is like Mm -hmm. progress requires change.
1: That's right. That's right. Absolutely. And I think, you know, if people understand why, you know, in the military, we always say, Hey, if you're, if you're doing something, you're making a decision, you gotta let, you gotta let your people know why, like, why are you doing it? Right. So that they understand the purpose behind something. Hey, I'm asking you to, to endure this hardship but here's why we're doing that. And if they understand the why, and, and you know, certainly if they believe in the why and they're passionate about that's even better. But even short of that, if they understand, oh, here's what the commander's trying to do, here's what the boss is trying to do. Um, I think people can more easily embrace change if they understand the purpose of it. And I think also as leaders, it's important for us to acknowledge that change is hard and understand that people, they're, I don't know that they're resistant to change conceptually. It's just, it's stressful. Because I think a lot of people think, well, gosh, if we change the way we're going to do business, will will my skills still matter here? Will I still have a role in you know, if we pivot, will I still be important? Will I still matter in this new direction the company goes? Uh, Do my skills match?
0: How do you handle if like you like you can't guarantee that? Like mm -hmm. I can't guarantee that everybody that currently works for me in their current roles are going to matter just as much as the company changes. So like, how Mm -hmm. do I as a business owner handle that?
1: You communicate, right? Talk to your people, <laughs> um, let them know, hey, this is, this is the direction we're going. I, you know, there, There's no guarantees in life. I don't think you can go and tell your team, oh, yeah, this is going to be absolutely perfect. But I think if you recognize the value of your people and at least let them know, hey, we're going to gonna go in this direction together yeah. um, and, and let them know, hey, I value you. Yeah. you know, we will train and coach you. We will try to get there. But like you don't have to make promises that oh we're all gonna get to the promised land together because that's not that's not yeah. gonna be the case. Every organization's gonna lose people, people are gonna come in. Um so yeah, yeah you'll always think, evolve. Yeah.
0: My my personal I guess as I'm thinking through this, my personal like rubric or heuristic is like you know, I want to keep the people that are both a culture fit and a talent fit for my business. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if someone's a culture fit and a talent fit, I am definitely going to communicate that to them and be like, yep. you are yep. you like you have all the cultural aspects that we're looking for. You're and you're very talented at what you're doing. If somebody is a culture fit, but they're not a talent fit or they're no longer a talent fit. Um, I'm going to be very, very on their side as I try to either help them get into right. a role in That's my right. company mm-hmm. where they're a talent fit or mm-hmm. help them get into a role in a different company where they're a talent fit.
1: Yeah. No, I think you, you touch on something really important there, which is that that culture fit matters. Hey, if you don't have the skill, I'll help you develop the skill. But you know, I, I have a mentor who always told, told, told me, it's like, if you ever have to fire someone, they shouldn't be surprised. They should know, right? There should be plenty of communication leading up to that moment that hey, you're not, you're not hitting the mark here. This is where I need you to focus, where I need you to improve. If it's if it's not a cultural fit, uh, like that's got to be addressed immediately. If it's a talent fit or a skill, hey, that's something we can try to develop. I can work with you if you fit culturally, right? Um, so yeah, I think you touch on something important is that balance, but culture fit, got to go if you're not, right? Um, the talent <laughs> yeah. skills, we, we can work with that.
0: Yeah, the... Uh... That gets into a whole nother challenge, but <laughs> I want to I want to pivot the conversation, Jeff. So you wrote this book, and I mm-hmm. so there's you know not everybody that writes a book. Obviously, there's an impact that you're trying to make on this on this earth. This is shows called purpose driven entrepreneur. Yeah, but- I'm curious what you consider to be your life's purpose or what you're living for, how you want to be remembered.
1: I think um, you know if maybe I could put a term around and make, describe it a little bit. Uh, public public service. And and that can mean many things. And you can be a public servant from the private sector. Uh, Because what I mean by public service, is someone who contributes to society in some way, right? Like, hey, I wanna leave it a little better than I found it. And for some of us, that's meant military service. Some of us, it means nonprofit work. Some of us, it means teacher, firefighter, police officer, those sorts of things. But for others of us, it means building an incredible business that enables Uh, writers to publish books for children that teach them skills. Like that's that's a way to impact the world. So I was hoping through my book was to take some of the lessons I've learned in some pretty difficult and complex situations, both in the military and city government, to say, hey, here's some of what I learned um, about having an impact, about making an organization work better, and how I think other people can learn from that. And my goal is to enable now uh, is to enable other people that want to have an impact in learning some of those skills, running their organizations better, uh, using some of the tools that I learned from my experience, and, and maybe apply some of those lessons and uh, have a bigger impact in their life and work. Why
0: does that matter to you so much that it's what you want to hang your life on?
1: You know, I think for me, where I grew up, I, I always had this sense that I wanted to be involved in the public sector, because I think from an early age, I was taught that it mattered. Um, you know, I come from a family, my mom was a nurse, my dad was military, um, both always served and, and taught me about service as an important thing. Similarly, on both my uh, family side, um, I lost my older brother when I was very young, uh, he died in the army. Um, so there was always this theme or thread of service of some kind, even at extreme costs. So that still resonates with me today. I, I think it's just a way to say, hey, life is short and you got to leave a mark and you got to get to work on leaving that mark. Whatever it is, just get out and do it. Um, and for me, that's been about, hey, how do I, how do I help make decisions in the public sector um, for people trying to do that work a little bit easier and here's some of those tools.
0: I love it. Uh, Jeffrey, what is something that you currently suck at that a year from now you want to be great at
1: uh, handstands. <laughs> so I am like really. I am at yeah. That's, that's exactly it. Um, so you know, fitness is important to me as a military guy. Uh, but I'm getting older. I'm I'm 42. Uh, you do slow down. Your um, as people warn me, your uh, metabolism does divorce you at some point. Uh, it doesn't I even feel say like goodbye, it's already, it just leaves.
0: <laughs> it said goodbye to me and I like grabbed it and I'm like, no, yeah, please, you're, don't you're go. trying to hold
1: on with your life, but it, it gives a, it kind of flips you off and keeps moving. It doesn't even shed a tear. It's really sad. Um, but one of the things I've been doing is like body weight type, uh, calisthenics and things like okay. that just to keep fit. And yeah, I think for me, and, and maybe it sounds silly, but for me, it's like something I've never been able to do in my entire life. It requires a heck of a lot of strength so it's a daily discipline um and it's something aspirational like hey i think i can get there even at my age i think i still have a chance to do this thing what so, are the
0: essential mm-hmm. steps to getting to being able to do a handstand
1: yeah well you know there's there's lots of different like youtube videos and things like that um you, you've got to have a ton of upper body strength right your shoulders uh you've got to be able to balance uh, and it just takes a lot of time getting the the technique down through your core How to stack your body right because you know you're starting with your arms and your like shoulders have to align over your your um, your arms uh, on up through your core to your your legs and how you maintain that balance Uh, and so it's just a lot of practice against walls against a door uh, doing a lot of shoulder strength work and things like that to get to build the strength to be able to stabilize all of that and hold it uh, erect for you know hopefully more than just a couple seconds.
0: I love that. Um, I love asking that question because I always get a very random answer. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, I wish it was like maybe something a little more uh, aspirational. But you know, for me, it's it's hard. It'll it's definitely be a challenge. But it's something I've been I'll have be working completely on, so.
0: honest with you, Jeffrey. The main reason I asked that question is because I'm always looking for a great way to stay connected with the people that I interview on this podcast. Ah, so yeah, I want to know, yeah. like, what do you care about? Like, what do you That's care right. about getting That's better
1: right. at? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and then you can check in a year from now and say, hey, did you did you do that handstand yet? Absolutely. I'm going to send
0: you a video of me trying to do a handstand.
1: <laughs> maybe uh, maybe I won't send you a video of me trying to do it. I don't want to embarrass everybody. Um, what's uh, Just for
0: fun, I'm a kid's book author. I believe you can't mm-hmm. leave a legacy without reaching the hearts of kids. Yeah, what's a absolutely. topic
1: or idea you'd make a kid's book about if you could? Oh, you know, I... Uh, may- maybe... Um, I'm a rail fan. I love old trains. And I think, you know, I I still think about books my parents read to me like the little engine that could that still today, like have meaning to me. Um, So I think I would do something about um, trains, uh, the magic and wonder of them traveling, you know, for me, they represent like adventure and going someplace new and all those things. So I think if ever I was to write a children's book, it would be about those things and the sense of wonder, adventure, mystery, going someplace, doing something, stepping aboard something and tying it to history. Um, So yeah. I I want
0: trains so badly to make a comeback in our culture. Me too, me too, Um, yes. (laughs) So much, because honestly, it's like, okay, there's this train that's supposedly, I've been hearing about it for a long time, but Mm -hmm. supposedly there's going to be a route from Orlando to Miami that goes like super fast. I can't remember how quick it is, but right now, currently, if you try to drive from Orlando to Miami, it would take about Mm -hmm. uh, three hours on like perfect zero traffic. And mm-hmm. and five hours in traffic, but oh, supposedly man. I want to say I heard that it was going to take like an hour.
1: Oh please,
0: That's come insanity. on! That's <laughs> insanity.
1: That's insanity. Yeah, I don't know. And you know, Elon Musk has his the the Hyperloop, and there are other yeah. companies working on the Hyperloop, yeah. um, and how quickly that could move people in a very low cost way. But yeah, trains are um, not just the historical thing, which I get excited about, but a very efficient way to transport people and goods. Yeah, um, talking about low public cost. service. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Jeffrey, this has been a fun conversation. Um, everybody should go check out your book. It's Fires, Floods, and Taxi Cabs. Uh, and uh, is there anything else that you'd
1: like listeners to do? Uh, no. Yeah, you can look for me online. I love to connect, so you know, feel free to reach out if you have questions. I, I love to have discussions and send me a message. Uh, LinkedIn is great. Uh, also, my website, uh, Jeffrey D. Roth, dot com. So that's uh, another right. place where you can uh, reach out. Awesome.
0: Thanks so much for being on. Great, Timmy. Thank you.